Welcome to another episode of the Phoenix Rising podcast, Journeys of Descending into the Mysteries and Rising from the Roots. I am your host, Lisa Hillier, spiritual mentor and priestess. I have guided hundreds of women through my one-to-one mentorship, online courses, and Patreon portal into the mysteries within them to rise rooted into their sovereign selves. Today, I have Blake Ward on the show with me. Blake Ward is the inspiration behind Seed, the world's healthiest clothing. He started Seed from his kitchen table 10 years ago with a sewing machine he didn't know how to use and built Seed up to one of the most iconic brands of our time. Known for organic hemp pants and ethical manufacturing, Blake shares his journey and experiences of the ups and downs as he transforms the fashion industry, one pair of pants at a time. I love this episode so much. Can't wait to dive into it with you. If you feel called, please like, share, write a review. It all helps to get these really inspiring conversations out to the world. And if you feel called to make a financial contribution to the podcast and myself, please consider joining the Patreon portal. Can't wait to dive in. Welcome, Blake. And to start, we're going to start with the question of what has been the journey that has led you to the work that you're offering the world today? Wow. Uh, beautiful question and nice to be here. Um, the journey Fast for me, in. yeah, <laughs> yeah. journey for me was I was a big yogi um, after university, got into yoga and I came home wearing Lulu head to toe And I was sitting at my kitchen table on my laptop reading an article about how polyester clothing leaches chemicals into your skin in two Mm. circumstances. Do you know what they are? No. When you get hot and when you get sweaty. I'm like, I go get hot and sweaty at yoga. Why am I wearing polyester? And so I was either going to quit yoga altogether or find something natural to do yoga in. I couldn't find anything natural out there so I literally bought a sewing machine I didn't know how to use 10 years ago set it up at my kitchen table taught myself how to sew and started seed wow so that was 10 years ago there was no natural clothing companies out there probably at all at that time hey no like literally um it was just over 10 years ago now um and literally if you wanted a hemp t-shirt you had to go to the bong shop and it was like some brown colored, horrible fitting, extra heavy, you know, it was just like not designed for real wear. And the it was so boxy. It was like a, a shoe box, you know, like the shape of it. And I'm like, there's got to be something for athletic bodies to be doing movement in, to be athletic, to practice yoga, to hike in the mountains. Like, can, can we make something natural that isn't abrading or leaching into our skin like those bpa Mm. water bottles yeah right we stopped selling bpa water bottles for kids for like all those uh, mountain equipment co-op ones that people had Mm. why because your water would start to get chemicals in it from the plastic around it so clothing was doing that to humans it still is over 90 percent of clothing out there is polyester and um I just figured, you know, not for me, I'm going to do something about it. And 
I started seed and we started using hemp and organic cotton and even merino wool in our first collections. Yeah. And so you just taught yourself how to sew. You came up with a design and started producing it. Pretty much. Yeah. I just started going to farmer's markets and um, it took me a bit to learn how to sew. It, you know, I, I didn't even know how to thread the machine. So um, I ended up putting myself in one of those local sewing courses that you do in the evenings at a high school, you know, and you learn to sew a bag and then you move on to some um, some pretty basic things, but that was the start. And then I just, you know, I was so passionate about just as I, the snowball began to grow, I was so mm -hmm. passionate that I was just like, we got to do this and I got to get better. And I would stay up till two 30 in the morning, you know, just like sewing. I had a day job during the day and I would do this at night and, um, and on the weekends. That's amazing. So what has it grown into today? What we are today is a brand that's, we've now had over 10,000 orders um, of our products. And so some orders are one item and some are multiple. So we've made an impact already, um, not just with making natural clothing for movement, but making it locally. Mm. I haven't, I didn't want to from the start and I still haven't sold out and started making our stuff in Bangladesh or Sri Lanka, you know, like these third world countries that if you go to the big box store in your town, um, you get a $5 t-shirt or a three pack for 15 or that stuff. It's cheap for a reason because mm. it's made overseas. Um, so the environmental there's, there's a few reasons why it's cheap and they make it overseas. The environmental, they literally just dump toxins into the riverways there because they don't have the same environmental standards that we do, but they have cheap, cheap labor less mm. than a dollar a day in many cases. And that's how you and I can go to a big box store in our town and get this heavily discounted clothing. Yeah, yeah. So are all of the products they're made out of hemp? Is that right? Yeah, we use yeah. a hemp and organic cotton blend. And our hemp is actually organic too. People love to know that. So it's organic hemp blended with organic cotton. Um, and most of the products, like when I first launched, we had eight or 10 items out there, shirts, shorts, tank tops, sweaters, all these things. And we've dwindled down to basically the antidote pant, which is a pair of joggers or um, basically hiking pants, yoga pants and overalls. So we make pants and overalls. And that's just because when I made eight or 10 things, people just bought the pants anyway. And so, yeah, people basically voted with their dollars and now we just focus on what they want. Yeah. And so hemp, what is hemp? Where do you get it locally? What does it do for the body environmentally? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, we get our hemp out of um, Colorado, USA. And what hemp, it's, it's a lot of things, but one of them is it's thermal regulating. And people don't realize that Thermal regulation is actually a word that came from natural properties of clothing because you and I and the people listening might hear or see these ads on Instagram that's like thermoregulating pants. And it's somehow they're spraying synthetic pants with a synthetic chemical that gives them thermoregulation properties. I don't get it, but the true um, thermoregulation comes from the breathability of a fabric of a textile. So it'll allow, so hemp, why is hemp important? 
thermoregulations means it's going to handle moisture really well. If you get too sweaty, it's going to um, express the extra moisture out of the fabric and off your body. If you get too hot, it's going to do the same thing with heat. Um, so it's a, constantly adjusting to heat and cold, just like merino wool base layers that people wear, and just like linen. Um, but hemp is also brilliant because it was the first fire retardant clothing. It's just naturally fire retardant. It's not now, you know, the firefighters are wearing stuff that's sprayed, their clothing sprayed with synthetics and all that. But um, it's the first anti-static clothing. Um, okay. So if you have, you know, pets in the house, your pet hair is not going to stick to your clothes, but also just with your body, the energetic fields of the body get charged up from synthetics. And especially when you're exercising, moving in synthetic clothing, um, it doesn't happen with hemp. Mm. So yeah, that's a few of the properties. It's really good environmentally too, the way it grows and, um, and what happens with it after. Is it regenerative? Like, is there a regenerative farming process with it? Do you know, with hemp? Like, is it, it super renewable? Yeah, totally. So the good thing about hemp and especially organic hemp, there's no pesticides used in the growing um, herbicides. There's, um, you know, it's chemical free growing and hemp is a weed, right? That's why we call mm. like weed, mm -hmm. weed. <laughs> it's a weed. It grows like a weed. Um, and so it doesn't need a lot of water. It, it can grow in some pretty harsh conditions, right? So it doesn't need irrigation, doesn't need, um, fertilizers, you know, um, things like that. But yeah, it's just a brilliant textile that yeah. um, a lot of people don't know about. And that's kind of been the benefit of seed is like, we've been able to be the tip, the tip of the spear mm. out here in the market and really like charging and educating people on hemp. Yeah. Yeah. And bringing a different type of clothing to the market where kind of fast fashion and quick and cheap is, is the norm where it's like more that um, traditional way of creating clothing where it's made locally. There's kind of a story and threads to it. Like there's, there's a family behind it, if that makes any sense, you know, oh, like there's, totally. yeah, it, it reminds me of that just ancestral way of living where there was trading and, and all that different kind of thing where people really stood behind their product and that, um, like pride in it yeah. with like, so being a small business owner and really, you know, staying true to your values with keeping everything local, not, you know, farming out all that kind of thing. Have there been challenges, especially over the past couple of years with the COVID and all of that kind of stuff, or even like earlier on in the beginning, were there big hurdles that you had to get over to really follow your dreams on this totally a lot of the challenges have been money challenges to be honest it takes a lot of money to do things the right way and um, some people are like you got pants that are 200 man like what are you worried about money for or like your overalls are 300 so you got natural dye pants that are 400 and it's like we're not sitting on a bag full of money over here you know like I've had to put my ass on the line so many times with loans or, um, you know, just so we can make production runs so we can buy the fabric. And, um, and there's been these, these ebbs and flows and we're really healthy as a business in terms of the community that 
I mean, like I said, we've had over 10,000 orders, like people want this clothing. Some of the challenges behind the scenes is like, how do we make this work as a business? Because when mm -hmm. I started, I had no business experience and I'm just like, want to do something I'm passionate about that's going to be good for people on the planet and didn't anticipate a lot of the uh, growth that I have experienced. Mm, yeah. What have been the biggest business lessons that you've had to learn to make uh, a business function in this world? I think just learning that I actually need to run a business. Like mm. we, I can't do this charitable thing. Like if, you know, the person who started all of this just wanted to make great clothing for inspired people, mm. you know? And like, I trade with chicken farmers for their eggs and I trade with massage therapists, you know, for massage, like kind of what you were just talking about, like the community commerce. Um, and that was, I was happy with this ideological world that we could just exist as small communities and like make inspiring things and healthy things for each other all specialized in this somebody specializes in food somebody specializes in building healthy homes and we can coexist that way the biggest challenge is like figuring out oh shoot how does business work and how does money work hmm. um, you know and it it works in different ways than I was wired as a human um, before I started yeah I think there's a uh... A belief out there in the spiritual community that you shouldn't charge well for what you're offering you know and and does that kind of lend itself to you know like I should yeah. just be able to give away this product because it's amazing and everybody should have it that's how I was honestly at the start and we weren't charging enough money and some would say we're still not um there's been years where I haven't paid myself an income mm. I'm I'm the hardest working person on our team I still work till 12 30 at night like two nights ago and 10 at night and um you know and I'm in there in the morning and months go by and I don't pay myself anything you know um so yeah there's challenges you know of just like actually it, it, honestly some of it's internal too right is like how was I programmed like what my mother used to say like rich people are greedy or they did something bad to earn their money. So like subconsciously I've got this program of like, Oh, if I earn money, I'm bad. Um, so there's been a lot yeah. of personal development. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of belief systems to break through and patterns to reconstruct. And it's like, I'd imagine it's a, a great way to really get to know yourself and what's going on in the inside. Cause it's like business relationships, everything's going to come to the surface. Totally. For you to look at and all of it yeah. like stare right in the face <laughs> and it's like you can <laughs> either go the other way or you can meet it and keep going and and grow with it so it sounds like a powerful growing opportunity or that it has been a powerful growth opportunity what do people need to remember I don't know if that's the right word but it's like we can buy a piece of clothing that will last like 10 years and it might cost like $500 or we could buy 10 pieces of clothing that each costs like $10, but they're going to last a month. Um, so what is it that's behind like a really good quality product? Totally. Well, for example, like the, this shirt I'm wearing is wool. It's Pendleton, which is like an expensive brand out there. And 
I bought it and I've had it for years now and it's still in great shape. I'm going to have this thing for 15 years, who knows? Um, but it's, um, you know, buy less and buy better. Or a girl, Dana on our team, she used to do a lot of markets around the Vancouver area with seed and I would be there with her and she would be telling people like, they'd, they'd grab a, you know, item off the rack and be like, how much are these pants? And she's like, 200 bucks. And they're like, whoa. And she goes, you buy nice or you buy twice. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so true. And that's what seed is. You know, we're not Walmart. We're not trying to be the cheapest product out there. We're trying to produce the best product out there. Mm. And it's going to cost whatever it costs at the end of the day. What I said when I started seed was we're going to make the healthiest clothes on the planet. And that's for people while they're wearing the clothing and it's for the planet environmentally. I didn't say like some of the big box stores or some of the stores at the mall, like Gap or h and I didn't say we're going to make great looking affordable clothing or mm. we're going to make, you know, cause then they're going to say, well, affordable clothing, how are we going to make it affordable? Well, we'll go make it in Bangladesh with yeah. slave labor, right? Or we're going to use synthetic dyes that pollute waterways. Um, so like I said, we have a natural dye collection, $400 pants. People love them. And energetically, Ayurvastra, we've heard of Ayurveda, but in India, there's a practice called Ayurvastra of naturally dyeing your clothing as medicine, the mm. energy of the medicine. And just like I talked about polyester clothing, leaching chemicals into your skin. If you have natural, if you have medicine in your clothing and that leaches into your skin, it's actually beneficial. So that's what our natural dye collection does. Oh, okay. So what are natural dyes made out of? Um, typically tree barks, you know, okay. there's like logwood is a very obvious name of a natural dye that, um, we have a color right now called slab, which is just a cool name, but, um, it's made with logwood and, or dyed with logwood. Um, there's matter, there's a lot of different cochineal. There's a lot of different natural dyes out there. Um, mm -hmm. but mostly, yeah, it comes from tree barks, um, there's little bugs. Cochineal is literally like these little tiny bugs. We don't use that at seed, but it's kind of like little mini ladybugs that have died. And, and, you know, in the ancient world, think of, you talk about ancestral times. We didn't have, you know, the big factories and stuff. There was people out foraging in the forest and mm. finding things to eat and finding things to build their homes from and finding things to make textiles from and also dye their fabrics so when you yeah. get to natural dyes you go back to nature um mm. in a real cool way yeah and it feels like when you're buying something that's going to have longevity like you know an, a product that's going to last a really long time it's going back to nature it's not cutting around the edges to make something easy and accessible there's like work behind it and um like craftsmanship behind it so do you guys have a store now like uh yeah our home base is in Cochrane, alberta okay. which is just outside of calgary um and so we have a, a storefront on river avenue which is a cute little um place in town it's kind of like industrial retail so we have our industrial sewing machines in the back you'll see like our big serger and single needle stitch and cover stitch and a cutting table um, and our whole shipping area is in the back. And then in the front, it's our retail space. 
and I've plopped my, literally the kitchen table that I started everything on is my desk, my office desk. And I've plopped my desk up in the front retail area there. So oh, that's yeah, we're, fun. we're local. And are you guys still doing farmer's markets and all that kind of stuff? Or is it mostly just? We've pivoted. We, yeah, we, we've, well, we do in store, but honestly, it's a very low percentage of people that come in store. And if we were trying to be a really busy retail store, we would go into Calgary or we'd be in Vancouver or Toronto, you know, like in a popular street, but we're an online business. We're e-commerce retail. Um, and so we focus a lot on our website and just like our Instagram presence and even um, digital advertising and our, you know, our community with our mailing list. So that we're connected with our community that way. That's our focus right now. And we haven't done a market in years, but um, man, that was a, that was a fun time. But honestly, I burnt out. I don't know if I could do them anymore. <laughs> it's a lot of traveling and stuff probably. Hey, the travel is so fun, but just like how many times can you tell the same story, you know, with people like it, for four years, six years, I would just like people come up and they touch the clothing and they go, wow. And you, you know, you share the same story about the price point, why hemp is important. And it's so inspiring at the start. And mm. it just got to a point with, with me personally, like, um, I needed to pivot, you know, that's why we hired people like Dana that I mentioned earlier to do our markets. Yeah. Yeah. And so did COVID affect you guys at all, or was it just, that's why we stopped doing markets, honestly, but it was a blessing in disguise because when we were doing markets, um, there was a cap on our business, you know, like you can only be at so many markets at, you know, and you might meet 30 people over a weekend or have 20 people buy your stuff over a weekend. In the online world, it's 24-7. There's people all over the world that we weren't touching that are looking for hemp clothing or they've never heard of hemp clothing, but they'd be friggin' inspired if they ever heard about it. Mm. There's people in like all over Canada, all over the United States, and we couldn't do enough markets to get to these people. Um, so if we really want to cause a transformation in the fashion industry by leading, by showing that you can make it locally, you can make high quality clothing that lasts, naturally we got to get to more people quicker and more efficiently than um doing a market every weekend yeah yeah so there's been a i mean there's been loads of silver linings with covid for sure you know and that sounds like it's been a great move for for you guys what's been your biggest inspiration over these years to keep going um just that the job's not done, mm. you know, we got like, yeah, just, you know, some of these documentaries, like if you watch um, in Canada, like I think CBC put out a documentary um, called Made in Bangladesh. Okay, and I haven't seen yeah, that. Yeah, it's all about the fashion, like manufacturing world in Bangladesh and it's literally disgusting. Like you're either throwing up crying or want to go <laughs> burn your big box store down to the ground. Um, and there's another one. Um, what's the other documentary that inspired me a ton? Um, Made in Bangladesh. And I'll think of it as we go here. But, you know, some of those, like, I've always been inspired by documentaries like to go out, you know, if I watch mountain films, I'm like, go and buy some climbing shoes. I'm like, I'm getting into rock climbing or, 
some backcountry snowboarding. I'm like, I'm going cat skiing. Um, but when you watch like something that kind of gets you upset on the inside and you go like, wait, like this is happening now. It's not like this happened 30 years ago. Like, oh man, we had a terrible past, but everything's good. Now. It's like, no, that's literally slave labor is happening now, 2023. That inspires me. Yeah. Yeah. What are the, I guess I'll use the word dangers. I don't know if that's the right word, but the dangers of fast fashion. I think that is the right word. The dangers to the people making it, you know, like uh, we did a short documentary called Seed Short Docs and it's on our website, seedpants.com. It's just a three minute film. But in that, I talk about why we make stuff locally and we juxtapose that to the third world slave labor that's happening. There's literally in our documentary, there's a picture that we got from another film Uh, a video actually there's a baby laying on the floor and a mom at a sewing machine and a big pile of um i think they're like black rubber shoes and the the mom had no choice she had to work had to bring her baby to work and there's just like toxic um dyes coming Mm. out of the shoe pile it's like a mountain of shoes coming out of the shoe pile by the baby. Um, It's, we can't believe it. You know, us people watching this likely have phones and computers and we live in a first world country. We we don't see that. We don't get a taste of that Mm -hmm. um, in our day to day, but but yeah, it's happening. Yeah, yeah. I remember long time ago when I was still in university doing a, a speech on, recycling electronics and the villages where people literally live on like the you know old phones and the memory whatever I can't think of the word of computers and they're burning it all down and they're living in these toxic toxic communities because we're shipping all our our stuff over there like it's horrifying some of the stuff that happens yeah and they're cooking their food on our trash like yeah. the stuff that we, like we rinse out our yogurt container and put it in the recycle bin and we think we're a good human. And we are because we are because our intention is pure. Yeah. But what we don't know, a lot of us is behind the scenes, that yogurt container goes to our local recycle depot and 90% of that stuff is shipped to third world countries. It's crazy. Um, yeah, even the textiles, right? We go and throw our like used H&M Gap t-shirts in the, bin and we're like I'll donate that for diabetes or whatever it says on these bins 95% of that stuff goes to third world countries they have mountains of our shit all over their landscape and that's why when we see like a commercial or an ad I don't know if we've seen them anymore but there used to be you know like help feed the people in Africa and these benevolent things why are they wearing like how do they get a Nike thing across their t-shirt or why they've got adidas track pants on that they're not getting that stuff from their local store it's our crap that gets shipped over there and so yeah they literally as far as like i haven't heard about the tech side of it but i know that our recycling is there there's piles of the our recycling that they are burning to cook their food on they've got like a metal grate like us we would go camping create a little fire pit put the metal grate down 
instead of using wood to burn, they're using our trash, um, which highly toxic. It gets into the food. I mean, we don't even need to describe what that's all about, but yeah, um, yeah, it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, on the positive side, are people seeing an impact with choosing better clothing? Like, are we starting to see a shift in that? Absolutely. And that's what it's all about is yeah. like to make a difference. Yeah. Like we're small at the scale that we are, although like we've gotten big from where we started. Um, but yeah, for, for people to actually realize that they are making a difference from not shopping at the mall and shopping from a, a natural locally made brand, it's monumental as mm-hmm. far as the impact that it makes. Yeah. It's like every small, like every pair of pants makes a difference. So it's like just making those really positive choices is creating a rippling effect on the planet for sure. Are there any documentaries that you would recommend people watch on, you know, I don't know why regenerative farming keeps coming up for me. I mean, I love regenerative farming and all that kind of stuff, (laughs) but on like fast fashion on slow fashion, I guess that's what it's called. Isn't it? It's slow fashion. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, that would be the the opposite of fast fashion for <laughs> yeah. sure. But if you, you know, if you look up fast fashion documentary, that's going to show you stuff that's likely bad about the fast fashion industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll remember before we um, before we stop chatting here. I'll remember the the one that I'm trying to think of. Like I said, Maybe. there's Made in Bangladesh is a good one. Um, oh, the True Cost. Oh, okay. The true, true cost. cost. Yeah. And that is um, all about the Raza Plaza. I think it was called the Raza Plaza. It's been years since I've seen it, but um, I've watched it a few times now. And I've actually been part of uh, Fashion Revolution YYC. So in Alberta, we were heading up like a whole Fashion Revolution arm that swung out of this documentary of the buildings collapsing on um, the garment manufacturing industry. So people sewing clothing for Walmart, like those those box, big box stores, um, Superstore, whatever those brands are, right? Like George and mm. <laughs> I don't know all those brands, but um, they were sewing for those companies. The buildings collapsed on these workers and the workers two days before had said there's cracks in the wall and the, the building's creaking and the the owner said, no, get back in there and keep working. Um, yeah. And then wow. a ton of deaths, thousands of deaths from that. And, um, you know, like you said, silver lining, if there is anything good that came of that is a massive amount of awareness and, um, that we can't do that anymore. We can't have slave labor today. Mm-hmm. Like we, you and I wouldn't support that if we knew what was actually happening. If we walked into Walmart and there was like that greeter there and beside him, there's a sign and that sign shows the, the Raza Plaza collapsing on the workers that made that clothing. Like we're like, no, thanks. I'll pay a little more for, for my clothing. Yeah. I think that's a big message is most of the things that are going on behind the scenes. If we knew about it, we wouldn't support that product. And so the more that that comes into the field like into our awareness we can make better choices 
that might cost a little bit more in the moment, but in the long run, they actually save us money. Like the dress I'm wearing right now, I think I've had it for 15 years, cost me 300 bucks, but that's 15 years. Like that's (laughs) crazy, you know? And so it's more thinking about that as opposed to in this moment. Do you have a, you know, cause we're at kind of a pivotal time on the planet right now. It's, it's a lot going on. Do you have a vision of where you see the world heading? I do. I mean, cause I'm, a, I'm so goal oriented, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, or like I'm always vision casting and I love the turn of the year, like the end of December, I'm already thinking about like, okay, I got a clear calendar. Like, what am I going to create this coming year? And um, New Year's resolutions, I love all of that. So I I used to have a vision of more of like this hippie, like commune kind of thing where we were living off the land, foraging, hunting, um, like modern, right? Like our future was going back to the past in a way. Um, and it's part, partly because I studied anthropology in university. And I just really love like the tribal community, um, small scale, like harmonious, sit by the fire at night and listen to grandpa tell stories about the land Mm -hmm. and the stars. Um, And that's not my vision now. I actually see now we talked about business earlier in the call and I actually see conscious businesses um, coming through. You know, it's kind of like in the springtime, you see those little buds like come up, you know, and they're pushing through to try to get through the ground. I see conscious businesses that are kind of just like at that point where um, they're, they're coming through at the same time as people are educated and willing to spend more money on less things, which actually over time you have clothing for 15 years. 300 bucks, you do the math, you're actually saving money instead yeah. of going to the, the mall and getting some cheap stuff that you wear for a month and throw out. Yeah. So you're seeing a lot of conscious businesses starting to sprout up. I'm seeing that now. And that's also my hopeful vision, you know, mm. moving forward is that we, like me, for example, it would be inauthentic for me to go and support um, I mean, what's another industry? Like just, I eat organic food, right? So it's like for me to go out and just like eat a bunch of fast food and like support businesses that are not doing really the thing out there for all of my, um, lifestyle choices from the home I buy or own the products I use in my home. Um, so just as people, I think we're going to continue to make more conscious choices. And I'll give you, I'll just kind of try to land this here with this, the organic food thing. A lot of us eat organic food or some of us become vegan. We're doing food choices because of our awareness, what we've learned from listening to podcasts and reading books, our community. So we've become more conscious with our food choices. Mm. There's two other areas that I feel are coming um one of them's clothing and the next one is homes like homes and the buildings that we work in that we're going to start choosing organic clothing locally made clothing we're going to start the the version of organic homes what if our home was actually healthy instead of being all these off-gassing 
chemicals um, from the carpets to the paint on the wall and the glues and all that. So yeah, I believe it's coming and I believe the education, just like I did with organic food and our conscious food choices, it's coming for clothing and for homes. And I'm actually getting into architectural design myself. Is, do you think that's like something that you'll branch off into? Totally. Yeah. Oh yeah. When I started Seed, I was 30 years old and I wanted to do both. I wanted to do architectural design and build the world's healthiest homes. And I also wanted to start Seed. And I just, I couldn't do both at the same. They were so big, both of them. And so I wrote down in my little goal planning thing from age 30 to 40, I'm going to create the world's healthiest clothing. And then from 40 to 50, I'm going to create the world's healthiest homes. Interesting. What with the world's healthiest homes, like, is it container homes or is it I, like, I think I stayed in, I stayed in a house that the walls were made out of straw and mud. Yeah. And I, I think that was super healthy. So yeah. What's kind of the intro into the world's healthiest homes? Well, we got to make it from natural things, first of all. Um, so like the straw bale house that you stayed in, there's some hemp. I was just talking to my my best friend, Mark, yesterday, and he makes hemp homes. Um, they figured out a way to make like hemp Lego blocks, basically, and you go and stack them and make the walls of a home. So um, for me, though, when I say the world's healthiest homes, I'm talking about the what we make it out of, but also how we make it. Like I want to astrologically align homes, just like the pyramids in the Giza Plateau, are there's two and then there's one that's kind of kinked they're not in a straight line those three pyramids they're kinked because Sirius like the star cluster is kinked and these pyramids are actually grounding um and mirroring that back onto our earthly plane um what's in the stars so there's energy to that there's um there's a wine pyramid like there's a winery in Kelowna I believe yeah, it's in Kelowna because I've been there. Um, and it's they've, the gentleman that's created it has created a pyramid shape where all the wine um, gets made and rests before they ship it out. And it's all about the energy that gets put into the, um, the wine. So not only what we're making it out of, but how it's aligned and um, oriented on the planet. Mm -hmm. There's ley lines, there's earth lines, um, but also... The third area is the shapes. You know, you can make destructive shapes that are not harmonious for earth or for earth energies, but also human bodies. Um, and then on the other side, you can make shapes like dome shapes. Why are we more rested in a dome than we are in a square room? Um, so there's a whole science that's actually called biogeometry that I'm doing some courses in. Um, to learn about how shapes are impacting humans and especially the shapes we live in. And so a, a biodome is better than a square? I'm not going to say it's better. I mean, mm. I'll just be straight up. I'm not an expert. I'm learning. I have yeah. a ton of, I'm amped up about it. You know, I have a ton of energy to learn more. And from what I'm learning, um, you know, vaulted ceilings are like a rounded ceiling mm -hmm. um or a dome structure um or just a, a complete like a yurt has a complete rounded walls right it's not a square apparently these 
types of structures are um, biologically more aligned with our how humans work. I mean, think if you and I walk out into the forest, um, it's beautiful, right? People go for hikes. We we go to the mountains for a reason, or we go to these natural places for a reason, and we come back feeling calm, relaxed, wiped out, all of that. When we stay in a in a room, a home that has just a flat wall and then sharp edges, our consciousness, our eyes, our, our whole human evolved body doesn't really recognize that. We're used to being in these natural environments where there's twigs and sticks and grasses and wind blowing leaves. It's always dynamic, it's always moving. And there's been studies with um, children that when there's like a bike path that's just perfectly straight and perfectly flat paved, nobody uses it. But when there's a little like trail to school, that's kind of like two feet, like two feet wide and it goes up and over a little hump and then past this log and you got a duck under a tree. Kids love that stuff. And you see them using that all the time. It's interesting. Cause I was thinking about, you know, when I've been in like yurts or round, you know, bell tents, we rented bell tents to do retreats in and stuff. You do feel very different than just in these box spaces. And it's like, you know, you think of the forest, there's everything to look at. Like there's so much beyond far away to look at, as opposed to just these things directly in front of us. So that's really interesting how spaces can change and evolve so that they're healthier for us and more in alignment. And I love, um, yeah, building them on the ley lines, like Stonehenge and the stone circles and having them be very intentional that's what it feels like like see the the clothing is super intentional and then these homes everything's with intention it's not just how can I make this the quickest easiest cheapest way ever there's um soul behind it that's the word I'm looking for a soul behind totally. it totally how do you think the pyramids got there? Do you have any take on that? <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I've heard like the alien, you know, like come down and just like, I've heard, uh, you know who Junbalo Melchizedek is? No. He's got a book, The Flower of Life. He's actually, it's a series of books. Um, that's okay. really interesting. His theory, well, he's, he's sort of, um, what are people called that um, channel? I mean, he channels, oh, yeah. you know, he's yeah. connected with whatever realm or whatever group or people that he's getting his messages from. And he, his message is that the pyramids were actually built from the top down. Oh, wow. In under a day or something like, you know, it's, it's just so out of our realm of, but it, it makes you think, right? Like, oh shit. Well, I would think you would build it from the bottom up because that's how I was born and saw things being made. But if yeah. I was born at a different time or a different um, level of consciousness, like in the golden age, who knows? I mean, I think, yeah. you know, there's so much cool stuff. Like um, Robert Edward Grant is amazing. He's been, he's a, an American that's been going, he basically does, you know, beautiful sacred geometry drawings is one of his things he's into a ton of stuff but and then he's been going into the pyramids and studying them and having all sorts of eye-opening um realizations about their construction and 
the harmonics of the pyramids. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't just look cool, it functions. There's an yeah. energetic function to them. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm learning more all the time. I'm super stoked on it. Yeah, yeah. Never, le the learning never ends here on planet Earth. There's always, <laughs> always a million things to go on. Um, when you were speaking to those conscious companies coming up, are there any words that you would have for any small business that's just kind of starting up right now or conscious company? Uh, yeah, any words of inspiration or, you know, lessons that you've learned? Keep going. It's going to be tough. Um, it's going to be, you know, there's, there's going to be some challenges with starting your own thing. And um, for me, I could have quit a ton of times. Uh, whether it was money challenges or just like I would go to markets like farmers markets nobody would buy a thing the mm -hmm. whole weekend you know or I'd go like on a three-day we have this thing called market collective in Calgary and I'd be there and one person would buy two items because I really connected with them and they're like I'll spend a hundred bucks on a t-shirt he knew what you know merino wool and he thought it was a cool gift but there's some pretty defeating times um, it's a roller coaster because there's huge breakthrough times too. When somebody buys your first item, it's like, oh my God, this is real. Like, you know, I remember Seed sold $4,000 total in our first year. And I was like, whoa, we got something here. <laughs> <laughs> I was, it was proof of concept. I'm like, oh my God, like we can actually do this, you know? And then the next year we sold 44,000 and then 98,000 the year after that. So we grew really quick, but I was pretty stoked on that. So yeah, my message is keep going and also reach out to people. I've um, sort of mini mentored a bunch mm -hmm. of um, fashion entrepreneurs over the years where somebody just reaches out over Instagram or they send me a text because I got my number from a friend. And um, yeah, uh, reach out because I'm happy to jump on a 10 minute call and hey, where do you get your fabric from? Or how do I design clothing from scratch? Or how, do, you know. Yeah. little questions like that. It's nice to have a mentor that um, will point you in the right direction. Yeah, that's super helpful. Very helpful. What's been your biggest lesson along the way? Um, <laughs> it's the opposite of what I just said. Don't quit. You know, or it's the other side of the coin, right? Mm, yeah. Biggest lesson is just don't quit. Because there's been times where it's been overwhelming and and frustrating. And like I said, to be the hardest working guy on the team and not pay myself for a few years, that can be stressful on a marriage, you know? And um, I know what's happening here. I know like the truth of it. And I know there's some bumps and, and stuff. And I know where we're going. And I know that this is a real brand that we're doing real things. And we, you know, we are an iconic brand right now in industry. Like you hear about Patagonia and um, whatever brands, you know, like Oshkosh is like these kids' little overalls, right? Um, there's iconic brands out there. We're an iconic brand that's evolving right now. And so, um, yeah, biggest lesson for me is don't quit because there's some, you know, the universal test you and so will the people around you uh, mm. when there's some stressful times. Yeah, yeah. How do you experience the mysteries? Uh, <laughs> with an open heart as much as possible. 
yeah um i just you know i close my eyes sometimes and just you know think about the beauty of playing with my one and a half year old son mm. and you know the mysteries the moments that we share you know together um i just experience the mysteries by staying in the moment you know and reminding myself like there's nowhere to get to this is it right now when mm -hmm. i'm with him i put my cell phone away i you know i'm not trying to send texts or do any work like i'm 100 percent there um so that's one of the ways i experience the mysteries yeah his name's eagle isn't it yeah that's really cute I love yeah, that. Thanks. Yeah, that's a solid name, Eagle. Uh, <laughs> um, how do you root into the self? Um, I've found for myself, the best way is physical practices. Like I need to go to yoga. I need to go and work out. Um, I heard this interesting thing recently about, uh, I, like picture a cheetah chasing a gazelle in the wild that apparently that gazelle gets away 19 times out of every one time it gets caught um so i want to just see how i can relate this to myself because that's what i'm trying to share is if i have stressful times in my life but i don't run right after or within 24 hours or go and do a hard-ass workout right after like that gazelle experiences stress but it expresses the stress at the same time through like running for its life right if i get in a disagreement you know a heated argument or i'm under a ton of stress with work but i don't express if i don't run that energy out that just builds up and charges up and um and that causes bigger problems yeah yeah, so true. Anything else you want to add to this conversation before we close? It's been beautiful talking with you and getting to know you and um, yeah, much love. Maybe we can connect again in five or 10 years when I got the, You've got the healthiest health homes on the planet. Going. <laughs> yeah, that'd be amazing. I'm excited to see how those uh, evolve and they're much needed as well. So it'll be in the show notes where everybody can reach out to you and check out seed pants and all that magic so thank you so much thank you so much for joining me for an episode of the phoenix rising podcast please like share download subscribe if you enjoyed this episode and i will see you next week for another episode on the phoenix rising podcast sending so much love